all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. You know, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not. I, I can't remember, but I have a an ornament um, on my Christmas tree, and it's it's literally a little Hallmark ornament that I got several years ago, and it's got um, Linus on it, and it's basically Linus at the microphone, and you hit a button, and it's pretty cool, I think, and you hit a button, and Linus says, "Lights, please," and a light comes on, and he repeats Luke. Too. And I love that. And one of the things that I, I, I haven't done so much this year, but I have in years past, after everybody's put to bed and everybody's in bed, usually I'm the last one up, um, I turn off all the lights, lock up the doors, all that good stuff, and I turn off the Christmas tree. So all the lights go off, and then I hit that ornament. And lights come on. And out of everything, out of the dark house, all I'm hearing is Linus repeat Luke 2. And the reason I do that is because I want to remember what this season's all about. I want it to be a reminder. You know, I know like, like Fred said this morning, he's like, do you want that video again? I'm like, yes, I do. Why? Because I want that burnt into your mind. I want like you walking around in April and going, what is Christmas all about? Oh, that's right. And there we're in the same country shepherds. You know, I want that because I want it to be a reminder. And I want us to remember. And really, that's what this series is all about. It's been us taking some time to really answer that question that Charlie Brown had. What is this all about? Why are we doing this? What is the point? What is, what is the reason that we're doing all the stuff? Why did we decorate the tree and put it up and do all this stuff? It's why. It's not all the stuff. It's the stuff that matters. It's the loop, too. It's that understanding. And so this week, we are going to finish our series on answering those questions. And today, we're going to be actually in Matthew, the second chapter. We've been jumping around. We've been in Matthew, then we went to Luke, and now we're going back to Matthew. And we're going to look here at Matthew 2, starting with verses 1 and 6, and then we're going to jump down to verses 9 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, that's great. If not, it's on the screen behind you. It says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And now let's jump down to 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, chests, and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. Father, we need you. I need you right now. Father, you're so good. And Father, the thing is, is, is we need your words right now. We need you, through your spirit, to come and change us. To, to work in our hearts. And so, Father, right now, I pray that we would open our hearts to what you want us to hear, what you want us to learn, what you want us to experience today. Because, God, you have something for all of us. Not one of us, as we sit at your table, need to leave hungry. Because you have good food for us. Not because I'm sharing it, but because you are good. And so we ask that you come, continue to be here, And continue to feed us your word. Because it is life to us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before we get started here, I always like to kind of bust a little few myths that we have about the Christmas season. Uh, And and, and that's just because I'm that way, you know. When I see a nativity, um, I love seeing nativities. We have a nativity in our house. We have a very unbiblical nativity in our home. Um, and that may sound weird to you, but the wise men or the magi, whichever you prefer to use, were not at the, the manger. They came probably a little bit after. The Bible uses the word child when describing Jesus. Usually that would mean anywhere from six months to 18 months or so. So basically Jesus could be a six-month-year-old to almost a year and a half. You know, Jesus is not a, a baby at this point. The Bible shares with us in a lot of times that they basically come to the house that Jesus was in and so on and so forth. So so the the wise men come later on. Now, because of the way the stories mesh, because of the way Luke and Matthew talk about it, we usually have combined all these things. So that's why you see them. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm joking when it comes to unbiblical nativity scenes. But basically, when we talk about the manger, the wise men were not there. It was just the shepherds. And we don't know if there were three wise men or many wise men. Most people think that there were just three gifts, and that's why we assume there were three wise men. But probably there was a large caravan of individuals. So we're not quite sure how many there were. I know that there is some tradition in the church that we've even named them. That that is not based on any religious writings or anything that we have. It's just based on the fact that somebody somewhere down the road named them, and that's where we got these names. But basically, we see this as a part of the Christmas story. And it is a neat part of the story because as we talk about it this morning, we're going to kind of look at some of the things that it kind of brings in. And so even though Jesus is not a baby at this point, he's still there and he's still with his mother and Joseph. And this is a part of the story that we're going to focus in on today. So for those of you that are saying, wow, Aaron, you're not really talking about the Christmas story. I ask you to indulge me a little bit because, again, we do like to kind of focus in on this as part of it because of the wise men and the gifts and all that great stuff. So, let's start looking at this together. Christmas, number one, Christmas 
is about application, not just information. Look at this with me, verse chapter 2, verses 4 and 6. Basically, what is happening is the men from the east have shown up at Jerusalem. They're looking for the newborn king. Now, they're assuming that the king would be born in Jerusalem. They do not know exactly at this point where Jesus is supposed to be born. So they go to the king at the time, who is Herod, and they go to him and they basically ask that question, where is he? Where's the king supposed to be born? Herod doesn't know. So he comes and he brings in the priests and the teachers of the law, and he asks them, and that's where we're at in verse number four. It says, he called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You know what I've learned? Everybody knows about Christmas. It doesn't mean, it it is not, if you know about Christmas, that does not make you a Christian. You could go on the street and you could say, I got a question. What is Christmas? Why do we celebrate Christmas? What is it all about? And you know what? You're going to get the stuff and you're going to get, well, lights and music and stuff. But basically, if you ask enough people, you're going to get these answers. Even people that may not know Jesus. Well, well, Jesus was born. It's, you know, the the manger and the shepherds and and and, and, and sheep and all that sort of stuff. That's what, you know, that's what all this is about. You know what's interesting to me is here's these wise men. They're not quite sure exactly what's going on. They just know that something major is happening. They know something big is going on. So they go and they're beginning a search and looking to figure out what this is. They go to the religious leaders and the religious leaders know what's going on. They say, hey, this is where the Messiah is supposed to be born. This is where he's going to be born. This is what this is going to look like. If the the wise men can see the star, everyone else can too. But you know what's interesting? The religious leaders don't go find Jesus. They stay there. They have the information, but they don't use that information to have an experience with Jesus. We have that situation sometimes in our lives. We may know a lot about him. We may know all about him. We may know the Bible leftwards and frontwards and backwards and forwards, memorized it. You, That's awesome. That's great. But if we can't apply those things to our life, all we have is head knowledge when God is wanting things to be different inside of us. He wants us to take that information and do something with it. Why didn't they go? Why did they just stay there? It's like they said... Hey, guys, listen, the thing that we've been waiting for for several hundred years is actually happening. Now let's do nothing about it. And we say, oh, that's silly. Oh, that's, that's, that's not the way it should have been. You would have thought that they would have been the ones that would have been the first to go and find this, the baby. They would have been the first ones to go and see. Because here's the thing. Wise men traveling from the east, how do they get there? They don't jump on a plane. They don't jump on a car. They probably are traveling by camelback. They're going to take a long time to get there. The star has not just appeared. It has been appearing for quite some time when the wise men show up. You would think that somebody would have been like, hey, that's weird. What's that all about? You would have thought that in our story, kind of go with me here for a second. You would have thought the Christians, the people that would understand this stuff, would have been the first people to say, listen, we got to go and we got to see Jesus. 
But they're the ones that are sitting there doing nothing. They're the ones that are quite honestly, let's be honest, kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs. They're a part of the group, as you look at the scripture, that say are not overly excited about the fact that Jesus has been born. Look at the scriptures. It says all of Jerusalem are not real excited about this. They're concerned about this. This isn't a joyful, exciting, this is awesome moment. This is one that they find is like, this is really going to maybe mess up my apple cart here. Guys, Christmas is about taking what we know about the birth of Jesus, the gift of his son, all that stuff, and actually using it. Letting that transform us. Letting that become something that envelops our hearts and then actually comes out in our lives. I remember as a kid hearing this, and I'm sorry because it's one of those like kind of slightly cheesy analogies, but I'm going to say it anyway because it does have some truth to it. And that is this, if you got pulled into a court of law and you were, you were basically, you know, said, is this person a Christian or not? Would you be found guilty? Would there be enough evidence to convict you of such things or not? And information isn't enough. You have to have some application in your life. Listen, just to know that Jesus comes, just to know that Jesus died, just to know that he rose again, those are great things to know. But if they haven't transformed your life, you're missing the best part of all of this. It's about life transformation, not just about information. I know lots of people who have lots of head knowledge, and I wish somehow I could pound it down from this into here. Because this is what changes us. I can know lots of things, but if it never penetrates my heart, I'm just kind of an encyclopedia. You know? I don't want to just know how to fix a car. I want to actually go and fix the car. But sometimes we don't do that. The religious leaders missed that. The religious leaders had that information, but they chose for whatever reason to not use it, not to go. I mean, think about it. Let's let's say we're in church, okay? Obviously, we're in church right now. And somebody comes in, off the street, okay? They come in, they walk in, and they say, hey, are you guys a church? Yeah, yeah, we're church. Listen, um, this may sound weird, but there's a Burger King right down the road, right? And like, yeah, I think there's a Burger King. Well, listen, I was there getting one of those croissant sandwiches, okay? Yeah, and I was there, and a guy walked up to me, and, and he was Jesus. Like, 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 literally, he was Jesus, And he's there right now. Now, listen, if that happened, I'll be honest, we would cancel church and we would go to Burger King. Because I want to see Jesus. You get what I'm saying here? They don't do it. They missed. I mean, can you imagine that? To be a part of that story like that? To be like, listen, I don't care where he is. I'm going to him. Listen. One of the things you need to understand about worship is that same understanding. He's here. Are you going to go to him? You know he's great. You know he's awesome. You know he's big. You know he's mighty. Are you going to sit here or are you going to go to him? You know he's good. 
Are you going to sit here or are you going to go to him? Information is great. Knowledge is wonderful. Don't misunderstand me. But if all we have is that and we don't apply it, we're missing something. And Christmas is about that. It's about taking what we know and applying it, whether it be sharing it with others, letting it penetrate and help us in our lives, whatever that looks like. We just need to have application. Next, number two, Christmas is about following and finding. Following and finding. Look at Matthew 2 again. This is the second part of 9. And we're going to be basically 9b into 11. It says, And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. I, I don't know, you know, sometimes, I, I don't know if you, it, the Bible is so rich. And the Bible has so, got so much stuff in it that, that I, you know, that's one of the reasons we can just read it, read it, and read it, and read it, and read it, and always see something new. When I was preparing this, I did not understand or see that the star literally guided them. You know, like, I always have this picture, and maybe it's just from art, or maybe it's just what I'm used to, where the star is stagnant. You get what I'm saying here? The star is there, and they go to where the star is. Well, first of all, they go the wrong way, because they end up in Jerusalem, which is not where they're supposed to be, which is part of God's plan, you know, but they end up the wrong place. So they get to Jerusalem. It's not there. And then after this, it's like literally the star is moving around, and they are following it. They are being guided by God to where Jesus is. So I think as I looked and I studied this a little bit, what some theologians think is that basically the star was kind of up in the sky. They weren't quite sure where to go. They were just heading that direction. And basically they thought mind thinking was, well, let's go to Jerusalem. That's probably where he was. They get there. It's not the right place. And then after they're not sure where to go after the meeting with Herod, that the star literally at that time then begins to lead them, almost like the children of Israel in the desert with the cloud and the fire. And so they are following that star. It is literally moving. It says, they seen it in the east, guided them to Bethlehem. Christmas is about that. It's about finding and following Jesus. It's about being willing to let the Lord guide you. Okay? Christmas and life in our Christian walk is not about finding a stagnant star and following that star until we get there. Because the thing is, God is constantly doing amazing things. And he is going to want to lead you in certain directions. We want to follow where God leads because that's where we're going to find Jesus in the greatest way possible. Follow me here for a second. Sometimes God is going to lead you down roads that are not going to be necessarily fun and exciting and you're going to be sitting up there going, yes, this is awesome. But at the end, when you find Jesus in a way that you never have before, you're going to understand why it was so important to follow that star. Listen, if you think, I'm going to take care of this right now. If you think the Christian life means that God's going to take you and lead you down roads that are covered with flower petals, you're wrong. Because quite honestly, maybe you're different than me. I don't tend to experience Jesus in the depth that I need when everything is rosy and peachy keen jelly bean. 
Sometimes, unfortunately, I'm so hard-headed and thick-skulled that sometimes I have to go through some pretty hard stuff to really have an experience with God. Because unfortunately, when things are going really, really good, I tend to do one of these things. Wow, I'm doing pretty good. Wow, things are going pretty great. I really don't need Jesus all that much. And that may, those words may not exit my mouth, but my life sure shows that. My, my, my quiet time, my devotion time tends to not be as important. My prayer life tends to not be as important. And I kind of think I can handle this on my own. But you know what? When the bad stuff hits and the hard stuff hits, guess where Aaron is? On his knees. And then I see God's faithfulness. I see God's amazing grace. I see his plan working in my life. You know, I, I've said, I would say this to the teenagers all the time growing up or, or back in, in Albuquerque. And I think it's so true. Listen, the flowers grow in the valleys, not the mountaintops. I love mountains. I love the mountains here. Easton and I were driving around yesterday and we were driving around and he makes this comment to me. He goes, he goes, Dad, the mountains here are awesome. And I said, yes, Easton, they are. They are so awesome. And he goes, he goes, they're so much better than Albuquerque mountains. Now, I am thrilled to death, and I didn't know she just heard that. I am thrilled to death that my wife was not in the car when that happened because she loves Albuquerque. She grew up there in New Mexico, that sort of stuff, and he wasn't knocking New Mexico, but he was just talking about the majesty of the mountains here, how big they are and how great they are. And I made the comment, I said, I love how way out there there's mountains with snow on them. And I asked him, I said, you think that all year there's going to be snow on those mountaintops? He goes, I don't know, Dad. I said, I don't either. I said, I would love, and I don't know, I'm sure you're going to tell me after the service, I would love to be mid-July, look out and see snow, because I love me some snow, man. Why, where's my snow? Mm, supposed to be snowing by now. And see those mountains. But you know what? What's amazing is I guarantee you, you go up there and there's hardly nothing growing. Nothing growing. You go to the top of those things, you go to the top of Everest, there is nothing there. Is it awesome? Is it majesty? Is it beautiful? Sure, it's awesome. But you know, nothing grows. But the lower you get, the more vegetation you find. The flowers grow in the valleys. And sometimes God's star is going to lead you through a valley of death. Through a valley of hard times. Through a valley of difficult things. But I promise you, at the end, you're going to find Jesus like you never have before. And it's going to be glorious. And you're going to be filled with joy. Christmas is all about. you got to follow it. Sometimes even follow those stars that, that are difficult. You follow those things that are hard. You follow those things that are difficult. Because at the end, when you follow, you will find Jesus. And I don't want to just find him today. I want to find him every day. I want to find him in ways that I've never experienced him before. Because, listen, you, you cannot find Jesus enough. You get me? You, you, you are not going to get to a place in your life where you go basically, well, I'm good. If you are there, you are not in a good place. God has more for you than that. God is bigger than what you have created him to be. There is more and there is greater. Find him and know that there's always going to be more. So we follow that star no matter where it takes us. And then the final one that we're going to discuss this morning. Number three, 
Christmas is all about giving gifts. Now, let's look at Matthew 2.11. It says, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So finally, somebody's sitting there going, finally, something I know about gifts. Yeah, yeah, it is about gifts. Christmas is about gifts. But boy, boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, have we messed this up. We, we have made it so important. We have made it so vital. I mean, what, what is like one of the major stresses this time of year? It's getting the house ready. It's family. It's all those things. It's buying those gifts. What am I going to get so-and-so? What am I going to get? The, and then it's always the, not just what am I going to get so-and-so, but what is so-and-so going to give me? I, I, listen, I, one of the things I love about Christmas is giving gifts. I love that. I, I have, I plan that out. I have, I'll, I, I, would, I would show you these things, but I cannot trust you to, to not divulge the information. I have in my locked iPhone, I have things there that talk about gifts from my wife that I've had listed for years. And I'm waiting for just the right moment. She'll say something in March. And I'll go, oh yeah, really? Okay, well, I'll see you in a little bit. And I run to my phone and I type it in. I have little secret ways I find out. So I love giving my son things. I love to hear what he says. Dad, you know what? What, son? This would be really cool. I think this would be neat. Oh, really? Well, we'll see. And then I have to, like, wait six months and die, you know, waiting to give it to him. It's about gifts. Listen, you need to understand this. If I, in my broken, horrible state, as a husband and a father... Love to give good gifts to my wife and to my children. How much more does your heavenly father desire to do the same? You know, I think that's in scripture someplace. Listen, God wants to give you gifts. God has given you gifts. The question always becomes, what are you doing with said gift? Remember the story of the talents? Every servant got something. What was different is what they chose to do with it. Listen, Jesus was the ultimate gift. He came for us. Listen, when you give gifts, hopefully you are following your father's example. You're not giving them to get something back. You're not doing it for any other reason besides you love who you're giving the gift to. And listen, that doesn't mean you have to run to the big store and buy something. Some of the best gifts are not stuff you buy in a store. They're the love and care that you give each other. It's the connection that matters. It's not what I can give my son from a store. It's that I can give him my love and my approval as his dad. Listen, some of you need to literally take your gifts back for people and just love on them this Christmas. Because you know what? That stuff, it's going to get broken. It's going to be forgotten. And it's going to get out of date. But when my father now calls me and says, Son, 
I'm proud of you. I love you. You handled that well. That will never go out of style. That'll be something I hold on to for the rest of my life. When my wife looks at me and says, thank you for loving me. Thank you for taking care of me. I love you so much. I'm done. Christmas is done. The year is done. The week, I mean, the week, I mean seriously. What gifts are you giving? We have this example. We see the wise men giving these gifts. What gifts are you giving this year? And please understand, I am not talking about the stuff under the tree. And the stuff under the tree is great and fine and dandy. No worries, no problems. Don't, you know. But at the same time, if that's all you're giving, you're not a really great gift giver. I'm just sorry to tell you. Sometimes what people need is you, not your stuff, not your money, you. One of the things I want us to understand here, and I will pound it and pound it and pound it till you are sick of it and learn it, or the day God takes us someplace else, you are valuable. And you are not valuable because you play the bass or you play the guitar or you play the drums or you speak eloquently or because you teach a class or because you do. You are valuable because you are you. Period. And God looks at you and sees value. He looks at you and sees something and someone so precious that he sent his only son for you. Now, some of you may be very uncomfortable with that, and I understand that. Some of you may have a hard time accepting that, and I understand that too, but it does not make it any less true. You matter to God. All the talents, all the gifts that you use, awesome, phenomenal, keep it up. That's exactly what you ought to do. But if you find your value through that, you are misunderstanding the love of your Father. He loves you. Because he created you. He loves you because you are his. I do not love my son because he always does the right thing. I love him because he's my son. And maybe that's the biggest gift some of you need to get this Christmas. You need to get to that place where you say, Father, I don't understand it. Father, I don't get it, but I accept the gift of your love. Even in my imperfection, even in my mess-ups, even when I do the wrong thing, I accept the gift of your love. Maybe that's the gift we need this year. Because I'll be honest with you, I walk around this world, and I see a lot of people that have not accepted that gift. And some of them are in church every Sunday. Remember, not about information, it's about application. Maybe this year, the gift that you need to give is you. Maybe this year, instead of worrying so much about getting the exact right thing, maybe you need to be more about giving who you are to somebody. Because I have this really strange belief that everybody has somebody. That God, in this moment, in this time, wants you to love on and wants you to minister to. Every single one of you. Every single 
one of you. Maybe that's the gift you give. Maybe that's the present that you give out this year. Gift of you. The gift of your time. The gift of your ear. The gift of your heart. The gift of you being willing to say, if you need a shoulder to cry on, it's here. And if you need someone to be joyful with you when things go right, I'm here. Every single one of us can give us. We're free. But it's about gifts. Don't forget that. It is about gifts. The question is, what are you giving? The question becomes, what are you sharing? Not just with others, but with God. Because here's the thing. If we are to follow Jesus, and we are to become like him, we have to remember that when it's all said and done, right before Jesus was taken away to be crucified, he looked at his father and said, Father, I give myself to you. He said, this isn't fun, this isn't easy, but he basically said, not my will, but yours be done. Basically in that moment, Jesus gave the biggest gift ever. As we conclude looking at this, as we conclude looking at these gifts, it's kind of interesting. The gifts that were given, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Obviously, more than likely, I guess we can't say for sure, but more than likely, we, we can understand that these guys from the East, I mean, they didn't even know where Jesus was supposed to be born, so we probably can assume that they also did not know what his purpose for being there was. But the gifts they brought were very significant. First, they brought gold, which symbolizes royalty. Next, they brought frankincense or incense, which basically indicates divinity. And then they brought myrrh, which represents death. Even in John John 19, 39, we see that as Jesus is taken down from the cross, his body is wrapped in in a mix of spices with the myrrh. Their gifts were symbolic. They meant something. They were more than they understood they were. And folks, you need to understand something about yourself, whether you understand this or not. The gifts that you give are more than you understand they are. They're greater than you understand they are. You see, sometimes you just say, well, Aaron, it's just a hug. Aaron, it's just a a, 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 hug. It's just a, a handshake, Aaron. It's just, it's just a smile. Yeah, I know. Isn't it awesome? Because, see, my God can use a rock and a donkey. I think he can use a smile. Because you just don't know. You don't know what in a couple months you've done for me. The words you've said. The things you've done in a time where it was very difficult. The gifts you gave were symbolic and they meant more than you will ever understand they meant. Even if you don't understand, know that God is using your gifts in deep ways, powerful ways, ways that are going to change people's lives. Don't hoard them.
Don't keep them to yourself. Share them. Share them. Because they're going to make a difference. If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. Last three weeks, we have, we have done our best to answer Charlie's questions. We have done our best to look at a little boy who desperately wants to figure out what Christmas is all about. And as we began this series, I mentioned, I said, I think that, that, that Charlie is not alone in his quest. He's not alone in his thoughts. He's not alone in his desire. And yeah, we may not hear people at uh, Nordstrom's or at the mall crying out, What is Christmas all about? Holding their shopping bags. But at the same time, I don't know if you can hear it, but every once in a while, when I do my very best to hear what the Spirit is saying, that's what I hear. I hear a group of individuals. I hear a society. I hear a culture. I hear a community. Desperate for something deeper. Desperate for something that is more than the lights and the music and the songs and the, and the hot chocolate. You see, we were created this way. This is, listen, this is not a defect. Okay? Needing God, desiring Him, was hardwired in you by Him. You don't believe me? Look around you. Look at your own life. We see people in every culture, in every time, in every social situation, economic situation, and what are they doing? They're trying to find that thing. They look for it in relationships and in money and in, and in different types of, of, of religious activities. They're trying to find that thing. Whether you know it or not, our whole culture is not just crying out, what is Christmas all about? They're crying out, what is this life all about? Why are we here? What are we doing? What, why is this happening and that happening? We are a culture. We are a country. We are a world that is constantly saying, what is it all about? Folks, we know what it's all about. Why are we silent? What are we afraid of? He's like, well, yeah, well, you're a pastor. You, 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 you. you know what? That doesn't take the responsibility away from you, too. And you know what? I have to do better. Because there's times where God says, share, and I don't. So I get it. But we got to do better. It's Christmas. People are already singing about Jesus. We might as well talk about him, too. Christmas Eve is next week. Listen, I understand. This may be a hard sell. You may be like, listen, I would really like to invite somebody to church sometime, but, you know, Aaron, you're weird, and I'm okay with that. But it's Christmas Eve. This is your, this is prime time, folks. This is the time to say, listen, do you want to come? We're, we're going to have candles. It's, it's going to be beautiful. We're going to have music. We're going to celebrate Christmas. Do you want to come? You're going to be blown away. People are like, yeah, okay. You know why? Because they love you. 
because you have a relationship with them, hopefully, and because, you know, deep down inside of them, they're saying, what is this all about? Because you know what? They've done the presents, and it's not enough. They've done the, the stuff, and it's not enough. They've done all the eggnog they can drink. And guess what? It's not enough. One of the things I love about Charlie Brown, I love about Charles Schultz, is his things that he came up with. Because he was a believer, I think God spoke to him, and some of the things he does are timeless because they are dealing with the human condition. And one of them is this desire for something greater and deeper than just the gifts and the plays and the stuff. But listen, you need to understand something. It starts with you first. You cannot share what you do not have. I could say, I would love to give you all $3,000. But counting the heads, I would run out. We wouldn't have enough. I can't give what I don't have. It starts with you. It starts with us. But I promise you this. You are walking by every day thousands of people who, whether they know it or not, are Charlie Brown. Listen, we get to be Linus to these people, and it's time for us, please follow me here, to put our blankets down, take our thumb out of our mouth and start speaking out the truth that Jesus has come. He has hope for you. You can change your life and he can fulfill your heart and do something amazing in you. It's time. That's what Christmas is all about. Where are we? Why aren't we? Because the bottom line is, our world is going to hell in a handbasket, and we're doing nothing. It's time. It's time. It's Christmas time. It's what Christmas is all about. So this morning, if you would, please bow your heads, let's close your eyes. I really believe what we need to do, and we're gonna, we'll have John and the guys lead us in a song here as we close, but I think there needs to be a new commitment and a new focus. We have just spent the last three weeks watching Linus tell us what Christmas is all about. We have just spent the last three weeks going through more specific items of what Christmas is all about. And now we need to take all this information and let the Spirit of God come in us and use us to apply it in our lives, not just for the betterment of us, but for the betterment of the world that God has placed us into. And sometimes that takes us being willing to say, Father, send me, I'll go. I'll do the best I can. And God will be like, yes, that's what I want. That's what I desire. Because yes, at the birth of Jesus, he sent angels and he sent a star and now he's sending you. Sending you. What unbelievable trust God has in us. That He desires to use us. And we all need to do better. No matter where we're at, we can all do better. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And as I pray, I would ask that you begin to call out to your Father that you begin to ask for that empowerment, that you begin to ask for that boldness, that you begin to ask for the love that needs to be present 
when we explain to people what Christmas is all about. Not, not, not a shaking a Bible at them, not a placard that says they're going to hell, but true love, true compassion, true mercy, and sharing those things because we love them, because we care, and because we want them to experience the life-changing love, grace, and mercy of our Father because He is good and people need Him. So pray with me. Father, we bring all this to you. Father, these last three weeks, we have gone through what Christmas is all about. We have not covered everything. We've covered a very small amount. But the bottom line is, when we break it all down, we push it all away, we see all the little things, we pull back from it, we see that really Christmas is all about you. It's all about what you have done. It's all about how you have shared your life with us. It is all about the fact that you did not stay in a cradle, but you went to a grave and that you rose again. That's what Christmas is all about. And Father, for too long, we have kept behind, we've hidden behind the songs and the music and and the food and the lights and all those things are great, fun and dandy. But Father, it is time once again to proclaim what it is that Christmas is all about. Because God, the world is asking they are asking and you have chosen to send us to make that difference so father right now i pray for an anointing i pray for an empowerment i pray for a desire that would be birthed inside of every single one of us to not let this season go by not let our lives go by without expressing the good news of your son it changed our lives And now it is time to stop hoarding the gift of Jesus and start sharing that gift with others. This season is about gifts. What better gift can we give than the knowledge of the love of a Savior? Born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So, Father, right now, ignite our hearts. Father, I pray right now through your Holy Spirit that you would identify individuals. Right now, in the name of Jesus, identify individuals that we can share your love with, that we can build relationships with. Father, this isn't about a one-week thing. This is about a lifetime of pouring into each other. Identify right now, Father, please. For those, Father, that need that identification. Some of us already know. But for those that do, Father, show us. Because we need you. We desire you. We give our lives to you. Father, in this season of giving, we give our lives as a gift to you. We follow the example of our of our, of our Savior. And we give it to you. Use us, Father. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 